And I invite you to hear it now from these words in the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord, the sovereign Lord, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. To set, he has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and relief from darkness for the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities, those that have been devastated for generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. And I hate robbery and wrongdoing. And in my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And normally at this point, I would invite you to pray with me, and I would offer the prayer that I always uh, give before I preach, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may God's word be spoken, and whether we want to hear it or not, may we hear it. But today, in this Advent season, I'd like to center ourselves in a different prayer, one that comes from a a man named Walter Brueggemann. He was here a few years back, uh, gave the Dill Lecture here at Dauphin Way, and is one of the preeminent Old Testament scholars of the last 50 years I came across this prayer of his. My wife, uh, Jennifer, showed it to me, and it has been ringing in my ears ever since, and it seems an appropriate prayer for Advent. I'd like to offer it now that it might help us to see things rightly. Would you pray with me? Lord, in our secret yearnings, we wait for your coming. And in our grinding despair, we doubt that you will. And in this privileged place, we are surrounded by witnesses who yearn more than do we and by those who despair more deeply than do we. Look upon your church and its pastors and all its people in this season of hope, the season which runs so quickly to fatigue, this season of yearning which, is, which so easily becomes quarrelsome. Give us the grace and the impatience to wait for your coming to the bottom of our toes, to the edge of our fingertips. We do not want our several worlds to end. Come in your power and come in your weakness. In any case, come and make all things new. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. There are a lot of lines from that prayer that have stuck with me this week, but there was one in particular. Uh, We do not want our several worlds to end. Because I don't know about you, but I think that is the defining feature 
of this last year that we have spent is I have realized how much I do not want my several worlds to end. We, we know that we live in a lot of different worlds. Most of us have several different worlds that we're trying to negotiate. We have uh, the world of our family, and it has its seasons, right? We have our, our family gatherings, our traditions, our holidays. Those form the rhythms or the, the milestones of our family world. And then a lot of us are living in a school world, and it has its seasons, which might revolve around report cards or uh, sports and championships and playoffs, or it might revolve around uh, things like breaks and holidays. And then we live in uh, the mobile world, where we have various seasons, like Mardi Gras and everything else. And then we live in the church world, where we have a variety of seasons. We have the seasons that we call Advent and Lent and Easter and Christmas. And then we have our own particular traditions and seasons around Dolphin Way. We have things like Confirmation and White Christmas that we'll celebrate next week. We have all these different seasons. And for the most part, we get along pretty world with all these different worlds that we live in. And they kind of bump into each other and they overlap in certain places, but it's not that big a deal. And none of them seem to threaten the other. And we find these rhythms as a way of kind of finding our way through. You know, we've got a pretty good sense of how to live in all these several worlds that we live in. And then we entered a new world this year. A new world that we call a pandemic or that I have been calling Coronatide to try and make it sound like it's a church season. And this new world that we've been living in has all kinds of effects, but the most universal effect is that it seems like this is the one world that rules them all right now. Like, we're kind of used to all our different worlds overlapping and none of them being in charge of the other, but it seems like this one world we're living in governs everything else. And all the other worlds are having to find a new rhythm and new seasons because of the way that this new world we've entered is changing us. And I wonder if you have heard the comments that I've heard from a lot of people that it seems like the effect of what we have experienced in this last year is that it's taking a lot of things that we knew were gonna happen, like the move to to a lot of video conversation, uh, changes in business or school or church. It's taken a lot of changes that we thought were on like a 20-year trajectory, and it's collapsed them all into one year. And it seems like they're all happening once, and it's happening so fast that it's kind of hard for us to figure out which parts of this world are good and which ones are bad and which endings are permanent and which ones are temporary. And the one thing that most of us have come to know for sure is that there is a lot about the several worlds we used to live in that we took for granted. And we miss them. And last week, we talked about how one of the paradoxes of God is that God rules a kingdom that is already here and is not yet here. And we are still waiting and looking for the day when the kingdom comes. And that all sounds very hopeful, and it's a hopeful way to talk about our faith. But if there is one thing that we have learned this year, it's that we don't really want our world to end. And we may not be as excited as we thought we were about what is to come. If it means the end of our several worlds, we like them. They have some good They have some bad, but for better or for worse, we feel very much at home in our several worlds. And so I don't blame you if you are suspicious about the end of the world 
and you have some questions and some reluctance. And I don't blame you if you're a little suspicious of the prophet Isaiah today, because on the one hand, it sounds like good news when Isaiah says, I am proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. How much would we like a year like that? But on the other hand, when Isaiah describes what the year of the Lord's favor looks like, it kind of sounds like the end of the world as we know it. It doesn't sound like anything that we have seen before. Most of the changes sound good. He says, I have come to proclaim good news to the oppressed, that I will bind up the brokenhearted, that I will build up ancient ruins and repair ruined cities, that I will provide for those who mourn. And that sounds good. But some of the changes he describes are more like good for some people. But they raise questions for others. What exactly do you mean, Isaiah, when you talk about liberty for the captives and release to the prisoners? Because I would like to see some of the policy work on that. I suspect that the devil is in the details. What do you, what do you mean by that, Isaiah, that you're releasing all the prisoners? When you say that the day of vengeance will be a comfort to all those who mourn, well, what about those who have caused them to mourn? And when you say you're going to make recompense for the devastations of the generations, just want to just want to see a white paper on this, Isaiah. Who's going to pay for that recompense? Because if it's all coming out of God's pocket, then fine. You know, that's very nice of him. But if God's expecting us to all kind of go in together on the bill, uh, that's going to rearrange my budget. And that's more than I bargained for. Some of the things that Isaiah describes sound like the end of the world as we know it. And we're not entirely sure we're on board. It sounds like everything that Isaiah is saying is, is probably good in the long run, right? As long as it doesn't have to all happen at once, maybe. As long as we don't have to adjust to too many things too quickly. As long as we don't try and compress all that stuff into maybe just one season, maybe that would be good. And if we're honest, that was probably Jesus's mistake as a preacher. That he just tried to do too much all at once, too much, too soon. And people thought that it was the end of the world when he did. I mean, you may or may not know this, but Jesus' first sermon that he ever preached was from Isaiah 61. It's the passage that we just read. We find the story in several gospels, but it's told in the most detail in the book of Luke chapter four. Jesus goes to his hometown, Nazareth. He walks into the synagogue and people have heard that he's been doing some interesting things elsewhere in Capernaum. And they say, Jesus, would you come and preach for us? And Jesus takes the scroll and he opens it to Isaiah 61. And he reads to the people he grew up with. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then when he is done reading from Isaiah, he says, today, all this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Basically, he says, I'm here to do all that, and I'm here to do it right now. And it's a, a long story about what happens next, but you should know that it ends with Jesus' home church pulling him out of the pulpit, dragging him out of the synagogue, pushing him to the edge of Nazareth on the very edge of a cliff before he manages to get away. And I wonder if maybe things would have gone better if Jesus had just said, Instead of saying today the scripture is fulfilled, he'd been like, all right, 
I'm just spitballing here. I think maybe over the long run, wouldn't it be cool if one day, if he'd been a little bit more vague about when all these things were going to happen, maybe everybody wouldn't have been quite so threatened. I know that I read that story now, and I honestly can't blame the people in that synagogue in Nazareth. I get it. Because I have felt the very particular grief and anger that comes when it feels like everything is happening out of place and out of time and out of season, and surely you have felt it too. Most of us this morning do not want our several worlds to end. But then again, some of us do. And it would not be kind and it would not be honest for me to to stand up here and pretend that everything was perfect, you know, everything was in neat order before the pandemic, uh, or to pretend that there aren't many among us who are very ready for the end of the world as we know it. For some of us, life has become a chronic condition, and it may be a different thing that has caused that for us. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a grief that has come to be your whole world Maybe it is an injustice that has been done to you, or maybe it is just an injustice that you see around you, and that's all you can see anymore. That seems like that is the whole world. Or maybe you are a prisoner. Maybe you have been captured by your own choices. Maybe, as they like to say in AA, you realize that it is your own best thinking that got you where you are, and you would like to get out. But you've come to distrust that you can do that. Because again, it was your best idea that got you where you are. You feel like a prisoner, longing to be set free. And maybe it feels like the world is pressing down on you, and maybe it has felt like that for a while. And we hear from Isaiah this morning, and we continue to marvel over the mysteries of God. And perhaps the most blessed mystery for you to discover this morning is that you are blessed. While other folks are playing at Advent, pretending that they want the world to change or are willing for it to end, you know Advent from the inside out. You know what it is like to want the world to end and be made new. While others hear Isaiah describing the world turned upside down and they think that must be the end of the world, you think that is what I am waiting for. And you are blessed. Because when you heard the children's moment and you heard Mary sing to Elizabeth about the day when the proud will be brought down and the humiliated will be lifted up, you heard that and you didn't have to wonder which one you were or if it was good news for you. If you are feeling hard-pressed by it all, if you've been waiting for the world to change for a long time, then you are blessed because you know that the day of the Lord will be a day of favor for you. And you're blessed because when you're given the chance to walk the streets of heaven, you're going to take it. Other folks, we have it on good authority, are going to prefer to walk on streets of fool's gold, but you will know the real thing and you'll want it. And please don't misunderstand. 
when I say that you are blessed as you are hard-pressed. I am not saying that God sends us hardships to teach us a lesson. I am not telling you to look on the bright side or to find the silver lining. And I am not trying to tell you that your trials are a blessing in disguise. I am saying that you are a blessing, even in your trials. I am saying that there is no disguise. There is only a world that is too blind to see the world as God does. Because when it imagines the end of the world, the worldly spirit that is within us, it only thinks about what it has to lose. But when the spirit of the Lord is upon you, then you see the way that God does and you see all that God is willing to do. And when we know that we need God, that this world is not enough, We don't have to be afraid of the end of the world anymore. I'm saying that it is the hard-pressed among us and within the hard-pressed moments in our own hearts that often keep us honest because when we shrug and say to others who are hard-pressed, hey, look, that's just the way the world is. They remind us of the truth that comes to us from God. Yeah, this may be how the world is, but this is not how it was meant to be. What I'm saying is that we worship a God of paradox, a God who is lion and lamb, a God who holds justice and mercy together, and a God whose kingdom is already, but also not yet, and that God can hold all this together. And I am saying that a God of paradox, it only makes sense, rules through a church that is most blessed when it listens to those who are hard-pressed. And what I am saying is that the most blessed church is one that has come to love an apocalypse. That's right. We love an apocalypse, not just an apocalyptic movie. We love the apocalypse itself. We see God's favor in an apocalypse. And I'm sure you've heard this from other preachers. I hope you've heard it from me. If not, we failed. We have not done our job. But it is important for you to know that an apocalypse is not a disaster. An apocalypse is a revelation. Last book of the Bible, the one we call Revelation, In Greek, it's called the apocalypse. The two words are the same. And if you haven't heard the good news, then let me tell you now, an apocalypse and a revelation, they are not a disaster because, you see, we've learned to read the Bible from the world. The world is so afraid of the end of the world that all it sees is what is going to be lost. And when we let the, the world tell us how to read the Bible, we begin to read our own lives the same way. We let words like apocalypse and revelation come to mean disaster. We think they are a disaster in our own lives. But what those words were really meant to be is a chance to see. It's right there in the word. The revelation is in what it reveals. It's about what we see. It's about finally admitting what we couldn't admit for a long time, maybe because we didn't even know it was true. A revelation is the day when we finally understand what Isaiah prophesied and what Mary told us about and celebrated and what Jesus made true, that we were made for more than the world as we know it. 
and the end of the world, the point of the world, the whole purpose of the world is so that we can know God and know ourselves in truth. Because when we see the things that we try to hide from ourselves and from others and from God, the things that we don't want to admit, the things we thought would be better if we just didn't talk about them, we are refusing to see. And we set ourselves up to need an apocalypse. And this season we have been in, it has been an apocalypse. It's been a revelation and it has revealed all kinds of things that we did not want to admit. It has revealed how much of our best laid plans and our good judgment and our own tidy worlds that we made for ourselves actually depended on other people. This apocalypse has revealed that grocery store clerks are essential workers. It has revealed how many distractions were stealing time from the connections that matter most. It has revealed that our neighbors minister to us just by being there. We've come maybe to stop valuing people simply for their utility and how we can use them. And we have come to appreciate that it is a ministry just to be there next to us in a pew or a bleacher or a cubicle or a sidewalk. And this time has not been a blessing. Do not hear me say that. But it has revealed how dependent our lives are on blessings every single day. How much we depend on people who we thought were hard-pressed, but we have now learned to see are also, a paradox means both things can be true, those who are hard-pressed are also a blessing to us. And it is easier now than it has been for a very long time to long for a day when heaven and earth will be one. And when all our little worlds collapse into a single kingdom, the one that we were made for. And in that world, we're going to see things a little differently. Where once we saw ashes, we are going to see garlands and jewels, says Isaiah. Where once we saw ruins, we will see the foundation of a new kingdom. And when we hear someone shouting, we were made for more, It will no longer be a lament that interrupts our own tidy worlds, but it will be a victory chant that reminds us. And if we can hear it that way now, if we can hear the longings of our world, of our neighbors, and even of our own hearts, if we can hear those laments as if they may be the most honest thing we encounter, then even now, even in this moment, The church can make space in our little world for those who are most pressed, and we will know that we are blessed. And we can learn to walk together through each little moment that feels like the end of the world, and we will learn when we walk through it that nothing good is ever lost in the kingdom of God. And we will see what Isaiah says, that whatever has good roots will become a garden in its season. If we know what we are waiting for, then even the waiting can belong to the year of God's favor. And even now, we can say we are blessed. 
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.